have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9. We have been in this series called Hope After the Storm. All of us obviously have been in this storm uh, called COVID, uh, that is for sure. Uh, but we also face tons of other storms, don't we? And I don't know what type of storm every individual right now is dealing with. I've often heard it said that you're either in the middle of a storm or you're about to go into one or you're coming out of one. And I hope that you are, are I want to offer you hope, uh, hope that comes after the storm. No matter what storm you're facing, no matter what trial you're facing, no matter what difficulty you're facing, there is hope. Now, what do I mean by hope? And I think it's important that we make sure that we're on the same page when we consider definitions. Because our world has a definition of hope. Uh, our world has a definition of hope. The culture in which we live has a definition of hope. And oftentimes that definition is uh, a little bit confusing. Hope, uh, by defining it by our culture, often says that hope is, well, it's wishful thinking. It's just wishful thinking for a better day, right? Uh, it's hoping that you know things will turn around, uh, wishful thinking. However, for the Christian, biblical hope is defined a little bit more specific than that. It's not just wishful thinking. In fact, biblical Christian hope is confident anticipation. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just well, well you know, maybe things will work out or maybe things uh, will turn around soon but it's a confident anticipation of the Lord's provision and His coming through for us and His faithfulness, not something in and of ourselves. Because if we're not careful, what we think is, well, that everything's going to turn around soon and we have this world's definition, but our hope as Christians is not in the circumstances. Our hope is not that just things will turn around soon, but our hope and that confidence comes from the faithfulness of God. And the more we understand his faithfulness and the more we understand how faithful God is to, uh, because it's his character to do so, then that's what gives us the hope. It's not just, well, maybe things will turn around. It genuinely is, God is so faithful that I can trust that he is going to be true to his word. With that in mind, let me give you a quick historical context of what we've been looking at. In case you uh, are, are unfamiliar with Ezra, the book of Ezra is a record of the return of the Hebrew people to Israel. They have been in exile for 70 years in a place called Babylon. Babylon runs along the Euphrates River. It's what we call today Iraq. In chapters 1 through 6, we see a record of the first people to return these remnant, this uh, group of people, was about 50,000 people total. And they, they, again, they're called the remnant. Now, chapters 7 through 10, we're going to be in chapters 9 and 10 today, they are the record of a second wave of remnants, people who are going to be returning back to Israel. This second group of people is where Ezra and Nehemiah belong. It's the post-exilic books, if you will of Ezra and Nehemiah that focus on that remnant. God's people have been caught in a terrible cycle. So let me just give you a quick rundown real quick. The gospel is made up of four themes, creation, the fall, redemption, restoration. We see it throughout the scriptures, right? 
Throughout Scripture, we recognize that in the very beginning, God created everything. He created everything. In fact, he said it was very good, everything that he created. But there's one thing I want us to focus in on when it comes to creation. And that's the fact that when he created you, when he created me, when he created mankind, it was something different. It was something different from the rest of all of creation. In fact, this was the single creation that he said, let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness. That set you apart from all the other creatures. Set you apart from everything else that God created. You're unlike any animal because an animal is not created in the image of God. But mankind is created in the image of God. Now, what exactly does that mean? I mean, there's theologians talk all about this. What exactly does it mean to be created in the image of God? And there's lots of different things that the Scriptures tell us. But one thing that we can be certain of, because this comes from the New Testament, and it tells us that we were created in Christ Jesus, and one of the reasons that we were created in His image was to do what? To reflect the holiness that we just sang about and the righteousness that we just sang about we are to reflect the holiness and righteousness of God. You were created in His image to do that very thing, to reflect His holiness, to reflect His righteousness. However, I don't know about you, I don't do a very good job of it. I don't do a very good job of reflecting God's holiness. I don't necessarily do a really good job of reflecting God's righteousness. And the reason why is because of that second theme of the gospel, the fall. That second theme of the gospel is all about the fact that we have sinned against a holy and righteous God. And because we have sinned against this holy and righteous God, we have brought judgment upon ourselves, and it has separated us from a holy God. And that's the second theme of, of the gospel. But the good news is, and this is what we celebrate all week long as we, as we lead up to Easter, right? The good news is that, that God sent His Son, Jesus, to do what? To redeem us. What is that? To redeem. It's, it's, to, it's to purchase and bring out of the marketplace of slavery to sin. He has redeemed us from our sin and brought us out of it never to return us back to that again. He has, he has purchased us. Now, how did he do that? He did that by shedding his blood. He did that by dying on the cross and raising again three days later. And we're going to celebrate that all week long. We're certainly going to celebrate it next week as well. But redemption is that third theme of the gospel. But there's that fourth theme of the gospel. And the fourth theme of the gospel is that he doesn't just redeem us, but he does something within us to conform us to the image of Christ. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to work within us. That gift of the Holy Spirit helps us to do what? Reflect the righteousness and holiness of God. And it's not of our own doing. It ultimately is because the Holy Spirit is at work within us. That he has redeemed us and the Holy Spirit is at work. So we see these four themes throughout Scripture. We see it as early as Genesis and we see it taking place all the way through Revelation. But here's what we notice in the Old Testament. 
And here's how it pertains to Ezra. The Hebrew people had a terrible tendency to get caught in a cycle. And maybe you get caught in the same cycle. And here's what it is. You, you may recognize that you were created in God's image, but you have a tendency to do what? You sin, the fall, right? You make a mistake. There's this cycle that we see among the Hebrew people where they would sin, and then God would bring judgment upon them, perhaps give them over to another nation, perhaps take them into exile into Babylon for 70 years, whatever it might be, but it's to bring judgment upon their sin. What would inevitably happen? Well, they would say, we're sorry, Lord, we shouldn't have done it. And then God would do what? He would redeem them and then help restore them. Only to do what? They would sin again. And then they would, then they would be given over to their enemies, and then they would feel bad about it, and then they would cry out to God, oh, Lord, forgive us, redeem us, and then what would God do? He would redeem them. He would restore them. And then what happened next? They'd mess up again. Over and over and over. They were in this terrible cycle. They'd mess up. They would be handed over to their enemies. They would ask for forgiveness. Then what would happen? God would redeem them. He would begin to restore them. They would mess up again. Ezra, as we discovered last week, was an expert in the law of Moses. In other words, he knew God's word extremely well. He knew God's word uh, so well that he is described as skilled in the word of God. Skilled. Now there's a lot of things that you can have skills about, but Ezra is described in the scriptures as someone who is skilled in the word of God. That's an incredible description of somebody. So here we have Ezra, skilled in the word of God, and he's studying the scriptures and he is going, the whole reason we spent 70 years in Babylon is because of this cycle. We sin against God. God hands us over to our enemies. We have remorse. We cry out to God. He redeems us. And then starts the process of restoration. And then what do we do? We're right back to sinning again. Ezra said we've got to put a stop to this. We have to do what? We have to help people understand that there is a way out. And that is being obedient to God. As Ezra's book comes to a close, as we look at chapters 9 and 10, we're left with this question. How should we respond when we know that we've sinned against God? Ezra and others are, are ready to stop this cycle. Chapter 9 tells us how Ezra responded. And then chapter 10 tells us how the remnant responded. So this morning, here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a look at three things that Ezra did in response to the sin, in his hope and belief that they could put a stop to this terrible cycle and no longer be put into exile again.